Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast here with Benji Nas. And as always, this show is supported by our show partner, LaCole, who produced Performance Cycling Apparel. Just of well to recap today, we had a TT in uh, Therese's La Vuelta Challenge, which will wrap into tomorrow's episode, as well as just a sprint in Benelux Tour. Today in the Vuelta Stage 19, from Tapia to Monforte de Lemos, transition stage, but a bit hillier than sort of the Stage 19 transition stages you'd see in the Tour de France, 191 k's long, and they climb for the first 60 k's, just about there's 20 k's of about 5% to open the stage of climbing uh, with a short descent in the middle. Then they do another 12Ks at 4%. So favourite for the stages, sort of favourites we had was Bagioli, Andres Crone, Magnus Court, Michael Matthews, maybe Dianese. Likely that Jakobsen would get dropped on that climb. And, yeah, we had a pretty big fight for the break in that climb where Court was allowed to go in it once again, Benji. Is he... He must just be a master of it, just being able to get in these breaks or on the climb, is there not really much you can do? I think it's a combination of both things. Obviously, he is skilled at it. We've seen him do it quite a bit of times now. Next to that, which team is he up against? Let's first say the most obvious sprint team here, the Koenig. They have to make sure that Jakobsen tries to survive the climb in the first place so they can never pace behind the breakaway because they need to make sure that the tempo was low enough for them to stay with Jakobsen and then try and bring him back. And then you've got the next two riders in line, like Dainese and so forth. Same story. They have to have their entire team try and get Dainese over the climb or put someone else on the breakaway of their team themselves. And then you get to the teams like a bike exchange for Matthews. That's a team that I think could have done more this stage in preventing Court from being in the breakaway or making sure that whenever Court is in the break, get Matthews in the break as well. But, uh, yeah, the breakaway formed with, well, it was step by step that it formed. It wasn't initially that just one group exploded at the front and it was one group. Nah, uh, just a few people bridging there, bridging there. And we had a, a pretty big group, including Magnus Gord, like you said, but he had a teammate as well, Lawson Craddock. And I think that's a very important factor on the stage. And other riders in that group did not have that. Like Akron was in there as well. Bajoli was in there as well. Rui Oliveira, Quinn Simmons... We had the likes of uh, Potter in the break as well, Anthony Roux, Nico Denz, Tuze, Soto. And uh, I think those were the names of the ones that were the most notable names in my eyes when I saw the breakaway form. And we saw that in that breakaway, there's like one rider of the SM, Nico Denz. And in the peloton, we see that Jakobsen is dropping, but Dainese is not dropping. And we start noticing that DSM starts pacing in the peloton to try and keep the tempo up behind this breakaway. Do you think that it's a mistake not giving Denz a chance, or do you think that they should focus on Dainese on this stage if he's over the climb? I think focusing on Dainese if he gets over the climb is a perfectly rational strategy. He's probably the quickest sprinter left in that group. The problem is their strongest rulers in the break, Nico Denz. 
and I'm not sure, I didn't really see him cooperating too much with the breakaway, but he was sandbagging a little bit on it, which disrupted it. They were keeping the gap so tight, DSM, at 1.30, but they're keeping it tight with Stora, Arde, who've just gone full yesterday, Chris Hamilton, Climber. They're not, even with the break, the breakaway started messing around with like 60Ks to go. I think because it was too big a group, we had riders sitting on. We had, I think, Stannard from Bike Exchange, who was working actually. Uh, he's quite fast in this sort of finish as well. But with a gap of 130, the break started to attack it itself, like really dysfunctional. Oliveira attacking, which is a little bit strange because he had Polonce in the group. And I was like, but you're quite quick. Why wouldn't you want it to be a sprint? Other riders attacking, Simmons, etc. And the gap wasn't going down too much. It was still like it even went up to 130 with DSM pulling. And I was like, well, that's no good. And then the, the breakaway had to basically form on the on it got to like 30 Ks to go. The gap was down to like 30 seconds. And there's this short, shallow gradient, three to four kilometer climb before the intermediate sprint point where Simmons attacked on that rise because they're about to get caught by bike exchange now pacing with DSM having kept that gap tied for them. Bike exchange pacing at 50 seconds, bringing it down to 30. Court, Cranach, Crone, Anthony Rue join Oliveira and Simmons as well as Andrea Bagioli. They've gotten rid of the Deadwood. Den's got called back to pace for DSM um, after he'd been in the break. Stannard as well. They're, both those guys are looking a bit tired. And so after that, on that crest, we now had guys fully committed to go for the final. And on the front, Benji, trying to avoid the mistakes of the other day, Bike Exchange put Schultz, Powson, and another rider, but they kept back a couple because they wanted to make sure Mezgetz was protected for the lead-out for Matthews. But it was a lead-out that would never come because, well, like, were you surprised by how good the cooperation was in the last 25 from the breakaway group with two, two stage winner Magnus Court in the group? I'm not because while Court is there, the others will have to cooperate if they want to have this breakaway succeed. They're riders with no one behind that can also do this type of sprint. So, or, or yeah, on paper, if, the, if it would go to a sprint, they wouldn't have riders behind that would do it better than their chance in the breakaway. Like a Krohn and so forth, they're willing to bet it here. And the gap is not large enough to be able to try and play with it, to try and go for an attack left and right. So they had to work on working together otherwise they would not make it to the line and that's the beauty of this breakaway because the tension of the peloton and the breakaway being so close the gap was like half a minute for at least 20 kilometers well the break has to work together otherwise they get caught and they can't attack because then they have a smaller chance of winning as well so the best chance of winning was cooperating with a with a magnus court who is honestly having a better chance of winning than any of the other breakaway riders, although there's riders in there with a significant sprint, but the difference is that they have a sprint in a reduced bunch. And here's group. Court has a sprint in a proper sprint. And that's the difference between two types of sprints and the fact that Craddock is still there and is able to set the pace so much harder than anyone else in the breakaway because he's the one that doesn't need to keep any energy behind, or at least a tiny bit perhaps for the last kilometer. Well, that has such an effect influence on the ability of this breakaway to potentially succeed at the end and it came to the point where the gap was going down to 15 seconds and then it went up again 17 seconds 20 seconds 22 seconds this one in the last five-ish kilometers already and was there any attack of anybody in the last two kilometers no. you know what i think happened once again court did the rope-a-dope 
This is what he did. <laughs> he does at the end of stages. He's, he conserves. They keep the gap tight because, as Benji's just explained, you know that pressure of the peloton means you can't attack, so you have to work. And then with the peloton close and now accelerating, he also has something and he starts doing longer pulls, harder pulls. He'd not actually been pulling that much in when the, everyone was attacking with 60Ks to go. He was actually sitting in pretty relaxed. And now they've got 20Ks to go. He and Craig are just absolutely pinning it. And, yeah, that's why no one can attack except Benji. I will say once it got to 3Ks to go, the gap was still 30 seconds. DSM had taken way too long to come back to the front, probably because they were cooked because when they pulled, it went from 30 to 36 seconds. Bike exchange run out of gas. 3Ks to go, we see Yumbo Visma on the front. They enter the town with all the corners, 30-second gap. That's the time where you got to risk it for the biscuit because you're probably not getting caught by the peloton at that point. And if you're Crone, I, I think the young guys probably overestimated their capacity in the sprint against Court. I think Simmons, Bangioli, Crone so well. were like, nah, we, we can take him. I, I reckon I can, if I get it right, I can take him, but you really, <laughs> you really can't. <laughs> yeah, I think that you're right in that aspect because we've got riders in that front group. Except for Craddock, every single one of those riders has shown at least once that they have sprinting capabilities. Kron in that reduced breakaway in Catalonia, where he beat the rest of the group. Then we have Anthony Roux, who uh, I think sprinted well in a reduced group after, was it San Sebastian or Ilombardia? Um, then we've got Bajoli, who we know that has a decent sprint, was second, I think, after court the other day. And we look at Simmons, who was doing a proper sprint that then we have Rui Oliveira, who's doing leadouts and has shown that he's got a good sprint. So they all got a bit of a sprint, and I think they overestimated their ability against Gord or underestimated his ability right here. And in the end, it's it's a thing that you had to choose. You have to choose whether you want to risk attacking, knowing that Craddock is still there and can just pace you down most of the time, or risk it in the sprint. And I think the odds in both would be quite similar. And I think the problem is what Benji just mentioned is Lawson Craddock, where he he does an incredible lead out in the last two kilometers and he brings court to like 400 meters to go. So as Benji said, if you attack in with a K to go, Craddock is going to probably just chase you down and burn himself. And, you know, Anthony Rue, Benji, he won a Vuelta stage in 2009, a sort of hilly transition stage where he beat William Bonnet and Greipel Daniele Bernati. 12 years ago so <laughs> he um yeah he'd probably like well he's like listen uh, i don't have the engine to attack uh, let's see if i can get a top three in the sprint anyway so that's what we saw uh crow and i did expect to actually have a dig but it was the perfect combination of guys who trusted their sprint but weren't as good as court peloton pressuring behind queen simmons opens up with 250 300 meters to go before that no one seems interested in, in getting on court's wheel this is another problem i have course sitting at the back of the group i'm like guys this is the man who you make him jump early it's almost like when everyone lets alaphilippe and pagacha go at the back in liege and yeah he eventually slides up into the corner onto simmons wheel simmons then opens up way too early gives court a perfect lead out has either side of the road to choose from goes left and when you see his, the camera changed angle, but I was like, I was already saying it's done. <laughs> if he's not boxed in, Paul yeah. has this, and he certainly did. Beating Rui Oliveira, who'd actually spent a lot in the stage, uh, who had been on court's wheel, though, to Oliveira's credit, and that shows if you're on his wheel, came second. Simmons, strong sprint, but 
Started it too early. I'd like to have seen what he could do from Courtswheel third, Bagioli fourth, Rue fifth, and Andreas Krohn sixth. But Lawson Cranach five seconds behind. You could see him celebrating as he crossed the line. Dainese wins the reduced bunch kick behind with Trent in ninth, Krieger tenth. So, yeah, DSM, mm. they tried today, but I think the problem was A, learning caught in the break, B, having Dens in the break, then being like, ah, we don't actually trust Dens in the break, drop back and pace. And, um, yeah, they're the problems, really. I think uh, I think a few things to note is that earlier on I said that uh, the riders in the breakaway didn't have a potential sprinter in the back group. That's actually not right with Ruen Oliveira. Oliveira had Trenton. Obviously, we know what we feel about Trenton when it comes to a flat sprint, but it seems like they trusted Oliveira more than I would trust depending on Trenton's sprints. M- me too, but it's still against Magnus Court. So it's the same guy that Trenton yeah. lost to while having lead out of Oliveira <laughs> back in the day. So <laughs> it's it's kind of the same odds here. But when it comes to Ruen and Demar being in the second group, actually, I'm surprised that despite Demar's form recently in this Vuelta, that they chose to give Ruda that chance instead of pacing behind with Demar. We see that in the group behind. We have Demar finishing sixth or seventh in that sprint, but then again, it's not yeah, sprint for victory, so it doesn't really matter. Lagak was in that same group. We have Ludwigsen and Jeanette's dropping in the final five kilometers to 10 kilometers, so potentially they dropped because they didn't need to work anymore at that point. So, and Rui wasn't just sitting on. He was pulling. Yeah, so what if they played it differently and had Lagak pace and Ludwigsen and Jeanette's pace in the peloton as well? Right. The team morale, imagine they make Rue back off the breakaway, the breakaway wins, or worse, they catch the breakaway and then yeah. Dainese destroys Demar and Demar, Demar comes like seventh in the sprint. <laughs> the bus wouldn't be worth being on there. Yeah, but it does show that the confidence in Demar is less than in the past. 100%. If this was Giro 2020, they would have chased that. All no 100%. questions asked. Other things to note from this stage, GC unchanged except for the unfortunate news that Louis Menke's just a nothing crash during this stage when Bex took over seemed unrelated to that. Pacing was like 40Ks, 45Ks to go maybe later. He crashed and DNF'd and it, I don't know what he exactly he's injured. It, didn't, it did look a pretty hard crash and that's a real shame. This guy's on a one-year deal at Intermarche, he looked to have pretty much locked up the top 10 in the Vuelta España. You'll remember Louis Menkes, he sort of came onto the scene with two eighths on GC in the Tour de France in 2016 and 17. Since then, he's well, he hasn't won a race since 2015. His Grand Tour results since then have been, since 2017, have been DNF 58th, 51, 36th, 14th at the Tour and now crashed out of the Vuelta. This was certainly a comeback for him in terms of particularly just mixing it up on Gamonetari yesterday. It's just yep. huge for him, and to crash out like this is a real shame. Despite that, Benji, if you were a team, I'd sign him for you know, 200, 250K next year. I still would. If I'm him, I'll try and re-sign it because they clearly want him to try to go for GC, which is what he wanted to do. So, yeah, you're right. If, I, if I'm if i a team, then I do see value in him. But, yeah, it's... He doesn't I don't win know. much. It's only if a top yeah. 10 of the Grand Tour is valuable to you. But he is a guy exactly. who knows how to go for a top 10 in GC. The way he rode this Vuelta can... I don't think he would have won it, the top 10. I think that the La Cruz has a better time trial would have overtaken him in the end. Where was he before today? 20 seconds ahead of the La Cruz. 
Oh, I think Guillaume Martin. I think he beats Guillaume Martin. I think he drops out. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I'm sure I love you, Martin. No, no, that's what I was counting on. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Hundred percent. I mean, if you want a guy, yeah, who'll go all in and dedicate training, and obviously then have the team ride for him on tenth on GC at a Grand Tour, and that's worth something to you. He is a guy worth signing. Good to see him back. It's a shame he's crashed out. Just wanted to make that note. Otherwise, stage twenty tomorrow is not a straightforward sprint stage or any straightforward stage to be honest i'm not sure how much climbing there is in it but it's 203 k's long i think it might be over 4,000 meters of climbing middle of the first third of the stage is like rolling 5k 6k's 5% 5k's 4% then shorter 2k's 6% then a rolling valley then another series of longer climbs 7k's 5% 6k's 6% 10k 6.1% with 5.6k to 7.6% descent short valley 1k 10% as part of 5k 6.2% 2k 6% and then it finishes on I'm trying to look at the numbers 10k 5% but it's a fake news climb I believe this finish I'm trying to look at it on the Castro de Erville it's got a steep it looks like Roglic if they go to the finish perfect for him like 5% finish perfect sort of Basque raid style stage what I'm expecting happens? Ineos to uh, do something because we know that Bernal doesn't give a crap about being 5th or 10th. That's what he says, at least. And he seems to have shown that on the Covadonga stage as well. I think he's going to try that again or something similar if he has the energy for it. It is not the stage where I would have said Bernal, knowing that Roglic is here, but he would be able to, for example, let's take a look at the climbs that are on this parkour uh, which one does suit an attack? They're all roughly 6%. Um, are there any ones in there that have very steep percentages somewhere? The Mugas has a 9% kilometer in Prado. the middle, so that's an option. Prado as well with that steep part, 10%. But is Prado not too close to the finish line to make a, a move for Bernal to try and move up in into the top five? True. I, I was more thinking just go for a stage win because Ineos don't have anything out of this Vuelta so far. I mean, there's a 4K 7% section on Mabia, the Mabia climb, I think. Um, so that's, I guess, quite steep. I think, I don't know, it's a chance. There's 5K 7.6%. I, I was looking for this stage at guys who do well at La Guelia, San Sebastian, Liège, Baston Liège, and Basque Country. So Haig, pretty good at Andalusia, those sort of stages. Bernal second at La Guelia this year. Mauri van Sevenot should go well on this stage. Um, Roglic obviously should go well, but it's it's got a bit of Paranese stage eight to it, Benji. I think they'll be nervous before this stage because, as you said, you know, Pidcock, Sivakov, Van Baal, if you get Van Baal up the road maybe, can definitely do some damage on these climbs and he will need his domestiques to be really, really on. Uh, what about Bahrain, Benji, who I think have the best team for this stage, personally? Because Haig, this is Haig's sort of stage. If he wanted to actually try a dash for glory to get on the podium, with he's not good on the 15K 10%ers, but this sort of 9K 6% long endurance stage with Caruso, Tratnik, Padun looking a bit better, Poles, Mater. Do you think they try even with Mater, Benji? Do they let Mater go on Prado and see if anyone chases? I don't know. Hmm. would they let's take a look at gc who would be closest to that and whether that would have an effect on who chases him he's ahead of kio martin but confidence has shown that they're going to be pacing at any point whenever 
whoever is ahead. <laughs> um, Grove Shutner will try tomorrow. I feel like the, the stage does fit him, but would he try from the breakaway? Because then he could try and move up into the top 10 while exactly. going just for the stage itself won't allow that to happen. I think Iking I should go in the breakaway to try and yep, save will. that top 10 that Mikey's hoped he would get. And uh, do you think that a De La Cruz and so forth are too far in GC to get in the breakaway? Only nine minutes? <laughs> well, Yumbo wouldn't chase him. De La Cruz, if I'm Yumbo, I would want De La Cruz to go on the break because then Bahrain and Ineos and Movistar would be like, oh, now we have to sort of chase and keep this in check. Yeah. I think De La Cruz has won stage of the Basque Country. He's won Paranese Stage 8. I think he's good on this sort of stage as well. Even better, With suits him better. To uh, keep the tempo up and try to get a breakaway away, stuff like that. Obviously, we've got that initial part of the stage where we've got those hills where breakaways will form. That's the part where the breakaway will most likely form. The question is whether the breakaway will be allowed to continue after that. Because that valley section is a place where either they have to continue fighting to try and keep ahead of the peloton, or the peloton says go ahead and the gap opens up to like six, seven minutes. But considering it's the last mountain stage, I... Kind of feel like it's going to be a GC day. It's a real shame Movistar have had so many injuries. If they had Valverde still here in good condition, the current GC position, Verona and Jakobs, they could have done serious damage on this stage, I think, and put Jumbo Visma under a lot of pressure. I think Jumbo have looked good on the steadier climbs, but I think I think this is a more complicated stage and it's up and down all day. It's very long. It would have been interesting to see what they could have done. But I'm hopeful for tomorrow's stage. Who do you think takes it out, Benji? Jesus Christ, this is a difficult one. Oh, I think that... Oh, damn it. Roman you go ahead. Roman Barber. Are they? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go for com jersey. He's got to get in the yeah. break, mate. The com jersey. You got to take it back. <laughs> I'm going to go for De La Cruz, and good, good I'm going to do it because he got away even from the GC group yesterday. So even if worst case scenario with the peloton, he still has an opportunity of at least I don't know five percent, two percent. So worth it to name him, I guess. Who's come up penniless from this Vuelta so far? I would say Bora Hansgrohe, Grosschartner has to try Astana Premier Tech. Uh, yeah. really have to try tomorrow with the Izaguirre brothers, uh, the Spanish Pro Conti teams as well. Van Sevenant and Knox really, really should be trying to get the break tomorrow as well. So you will, there will be a big fight for the break. Um, trying to think Schultz on bike exchange. We had to work today as well as Trek Segafredo. One would think Brambilla will certainly be trying to get in the break uh, with JP Lopez. And so it could be, could be a really good fight in the break. Uh, but a lot of the teams we've been already seeing and hopefully we see some gc action before the final tt but let us know what you think is going to happen down below magnus court takes his third Vuelta Espana stage win now officially the most grand tour stage wins for any danish rider in history thanks to lakoff for supporting the podcast we'll see you with the recap tomorrow ciao even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.